You're listening to the Platte River Bard. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Platte River Bard. This is Chris Berger. And I'm Sherry Berger. And we are here today with Murphy Wolfgar, the Executive Director of Bridget St. Bridget. Thank you very much for talking with us this afternoon. Hi, thank you for having me. It's such a pleasure to meet you. And I'm so excited for this upcoming production. And there were so many questions that I had, not just about the production, but about the theater group. And thank you so much for coming on the podcast and being willing to do it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to be able to talk about it. So you are the founder of Bridget St. Bridget. I'm not the founder. Kathy Kurz is the founder. Okay. And I'm... Partial I came founder. in second. You came but in I second. am. I'm partial. I'm a co-founder. You are a co-founder. I was. Th- there was only one production in our 30-year history that I wasn't a part of, and it was the first one. And oh then wow! From then on out, I've been a pillar of the theater. I totally Kathy. think that counts as a as a co-founder. <laughs> founder. Wow! Yes. Thirty yes. years. Thirty yeah. years. Yeah. So it should be our thirtieth, were it not for the pandemic. Yeah. But yeah, looking back. Because uh, I I crossed a thirty year mark doing some stuff myself, and it, w- what was it like for you when you realized oh thirty the whole <laughs> yeah, time? Yeah, I'll tell you that wasn't the big wake up call for me. Oh, okay, it, it wasn't like the the amount of time that I've been doing it now it doesn't really make me blink. But the 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 point I I think I repeated a play. I had done a play earlier and and I was just an actor in it and I had a it was a lot of fun and you know we were goofing around all the time backstage and then I don't know it was like halfway into the theater tenure somewhere we did that play again it was it wasn't that Bridget St. Bridget had done it before I had done it someplace else okay and then we did it at Bridget St. Bridget and this time I was I was involved in it not just as an actor but as the director as the person running the theater as the person paying the bills okay and it was a whole different experience it was like yeah it was like wow i'm not the one sitting around laughing and goofing around in the lobby anymore while (laughs) i'm the one running around trying to fix all the tech problems and do all the other things and i've really like grown up a lot and my my experience with my art form has completely changed my relationship to it has completely changed yeah um and so that for me was the big one and and yeah 30 years in i just i i feel more secure than i did early on um and i certainly uh trust myself more than i did but but yeah that was the that was the big one for me was realizing oh i'm the guy I'm not the fun guy anymore. Yeah, I can't just yeah show <laughs> the, up and yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was, That's it was, okay. You can still be fun an and be responsible. It's okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just. It, it's. I'm just glad it, it can didn't, be challenging. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad it didn't, you know, change your perception of of wanting to be involved in the arts. So you know, sometimes that can be kind of a nail yeah. in the coffin. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of, I mean, and I had that moment with myself. It was, there was that, that, okay, this has become work. This isn't just fun for me anymore. Sure. And, and is it still something I need to do? Is it still something I want to do? And, and the parent, you know, apparently the answer was yes. Yes. So thankfully, so it, yeah. So (laughs) it, it really, you're able to lean into it and then do it in a different way and engage with it in a different way, Yeah. but not be sort of resentful or, yeah, or bitter or sort of losing your, your joy for it. Um, but looking at different benchmarks, different things about it, bring you happiness and bring you joy and fulfillment. Yes. And so, yeah, I definitely had that conversation with myself, though. For sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there comes a point, yeah, where where the fun thing is now, this is a lot of work. So do I like this? And how do I like this? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and you find, yeah, and different ways in that you didn't even know were there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which yeah. is very interesting. Yeah, and, I, and, and there was a true. point at which I started to sort of step away where I started to, I, I wanted to do, I've always been really interested in film. Um, and so I've done okay. some stuff locally, personally. Cool. Um, but then I was like, you know, I, I want to see if I could do this professionally, like on a larger scale. So I got an agent in, you know, Kansas City and St. Louis and Chicago. And then I started working regionally and, and, you know, within, I don't know, it was like, 
nine months or something, I found myself on Chicago Fire, like doing a part, you know, a good, nice little guest starring part. And, cool. Um, wow. And then my dad got dementia. His dementia got worse. Wow. He had dementia and okay. it started getting worse. So I came back. Um, and But I was still, I never left the theater. I was always kind of doing things behind the scenes and yeah. and still helping the theater run. But I took kind of a step back from acting and directing. Mm -hmm. okay. um, and then once I came back and started doing things and my life changed. Uh, and then to find myself in a different place at a different time, yeah. uh, then engaging with theater again and doing it here and doing it in the way not in the way that I was doing it before, but doing it differently, being a different person for, for all intent and purposes. For sure. Uh, it was really, that was really cool. Uh, that, that, that adjustment and that sort of awakening and coming back to the work differently and focusing, focusing it in a different way for myself. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and so, gosh, how long have you been back then since? It's um, I think it's been since 2014. Wow. Okay. okay so not and, that long ago. And then, yeah. And the first show, the first show that I did back, um, like that I actually performed in and was, uh, that directed was in 2018. So, so there was a period of time where I was back and I just wasn't acting or doing any of that. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then... I did, and that's kind of what kicked off. Like this play, God on Trial, that I'm doing now, yes. is the second in a series of plays that I'm doing. Oh. And so the the first one that I had done in 2018 or 2019, it might have been 2019. 2019? I think it was 2019. Okay. Um, was uh, Arthur Miller's Incident at Vichy. Oh, which, yeah. Which uh, is another story about the Holocaust. And it, it, it's about um, sort of prefacing a group of people being taken to a concentration camp. Okay. So they're in Nazi occupied France and they're the play is that they're these men are all rounded up and the play opens and there's like 13 men sitting there and then one by one they're brought into this offstage office mm. and questioned as to whether or not they're Jewish. Mm. And their papers are checked and and some of the men come out and get to leave and some of them you never see again. They, the wow. idea is that they're being taken out the back door or being put in a jail cell and then wow. all being shoved on a train at some point right. and taken to a concentration camp. Um, and, and so that was the first one that I had done back as, as sort of a performing artist and directing. Um, but it also sort of started this whole new idea for me and how I'm looking at theater and doing sort of more immersive kind of found space theater that, that speaks to a really specific um, kind of idea or or um, emotion that I feel like humanity is kind of going through at the moment, mm -hmm. uh, and and finding it completely relevant. Finding, you know, the 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 lessons of the Holocaust should never stop being taught, and there are things about them that are so universal to to all of us, like when something on that magnitude happens in the world, our DNA is forever altered as yeah. human beings. Yeah. And, yeah. and so being Jewish myself and looking at it from that perspective, um, like at the time when I decided to do Incident of Vichy, the reason I decided to do it is because I picked it up. We were looking for plays to do. And I was thinking about directing again and coming back. And, mm -hmm. and I picked up that script. And one of the first lines in the play was a character saying, I knew I shouldn't have gone out today. I knew I should have stayed in. The minute I went out the door, they got me. Mm. Uh, and it was at the same time that all those ice raids were going on all over the country, okay. and down at the border, yeah. and the kids in the cages, and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I, I kept reading, and I was like, oh my God, this is so relevant. Like This was written in 1968 yeah. about something that happened in 1944, mm. and it's absolutely relevant in 2019. Mm -hmm. Like, wow, we really just don't learn, do we? No. Right. So, so it, it really jazzed me up to tell that story. And, um, and then I was shown this film um, as sort of prepping for doing that other play. Oh, okay. And so when I saw the film of God on Trial, I was like, oh my gosh, oh. I want to do that. And, I sh and, it, and it opened up this whole idea for me about 
this whole, like the idea of incident of Ishii is there's these 13 men in it and there's one Nazi guard at the door. And yet one by one, they go in and they're taken away and the group cannot gel. They just can't get mm-hmm. together and get out of there. Right. They're, mm. they're, they're, they've been pushed into such a place of this psychological subjugation that they, they either don't feel they'll be able to overcome the guard or they think that because they have a personal relationship with somebody that they're going to be able to skate by or their little protected place in the world is going to be okay. So even though that guy is going to get taken, I'm probably going to be okay. So I don't want to risk it by getting through. So there's all kinds of motivations and reasons not to do something. But it, it's sort of this examination of how people deal with each other when their backs are up against a wall. Um, and, yeah. and so God on trial now is they're in Auschwitz. They have been imprisoned from wherever they came from, from whatever ghetto they came from to the train that took them from that Jewish ghetto to the concentration camp, whatever horrors they endured along the way. Yeah. Here they are now in this this hell on earth in this prison camp. And 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 what this play brings forward is this this sort of reckoning with God. Like there are there yeah. are devout Jewish members of the of the bunkhouse and there are some who are atheists and there are some who are, you know, there's there's being a religious Jew and then there's being a cultural Jew. Like my father was Jewish and my mother was Catholic. So I wasn't raised with any religion in our house because the two families did not get along with one another. <laughs> okay. So we'd go over to one side of the family for Passover and Rosh Hashanah and Hanukkah. And yeah. we'd go over to the other side of the family right. for Thanksgiving and, you know, Easter and Christmas. And, yeah. and for us kids, all it ever was, was an opportunity to get food or presents. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Best of both worlds. Was, yeah. And there was never anything more to that. And so my parents yeah. in their infinite wisdom as young parents made the decision to not introduce us to religion until we were old enough to understand what religion was. And, and so we were brought to it much later when we grew up, you know, and we're older. Um, but, but my foundation with it growing up, I didn't grow up in Nebraska either. I grew up in New Jersey. Okay. Um, and, and so I was around a lot of Jewish people and I was around a lot of different kinds. Like I grew up in a really diverse place. Um, and because the cost of living is so much higher on the East Coast than it is in Nebraska, when yeah. my dad, he was working for a company and they got bought out by Peter Kiewit and moved out here oh, to okay. the, to Nebraska. Yeah. I didn't, we, none of us knew where it was. Oh. And, we thought, we and we thought we thought we were going to come out here and there were going to be like kids riding their horses to school. And like, <laughs> in my mind, not I, quite, but I, yeah, I, and I was 15. Like, and, oh. and when you live in New Jersey, like there's New Jersey and then there's Florida and then there's not much in between. <laughs> So there's, and there's also New York, like my dad sure, was a sure. Brooklyn boy. So we had friends, relatives in New York, but there's like the tri-state area and then <laughs> right. Florida. And Florida, and then the rest of the country is just kind of over there. Over there. Yeah. That's so, hilarious. So, so when we came out here, it was a real culture shock. And because the little house in the little neighborhood that we were living in was so expensive because of living, we could have our pick of houses out here. And so my mom wanted to get as far out of the city as she could without being out in the in the boonies, as she called it. Right. And so we ended up in uh, Elkhorn. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. And like zero Jews, zero, (laughs) you know, people of colors, zero, like any kind of diversity. It was really, it was a real culture shock for us. I bet. Yeah. Um, And, and so that whole experience informed me, I think in a way uh, that, that when we started like taking it back to this play, like I was explaining to my cast, like the difference between being a religious Jew and being a cultural Jew, like that you share a sort of tradition and a cultural thing, even if you're not observant and religious. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you're on the religious side and there's a whole different thing. So in this bunkhouse, in the play that we're doing, you have a lot of different kinds of Jewish people and some people who that aren't even Jewish mm-hmm. people who okay. were in the concentration camps who right. were, yeah. who were prisoners from other places who were, you know, gypsies or yeah. something. Yeah. yeah. Well, whatever they were, it was there. They, they didn't necessarily have to be Jewish, although they were primarily Jewish. Right. Now yeah. this is sort of, uh, and, and this whole thing, this, uh, this, the, uh, God on trial was, is, uh, 
is supposed is, is supposedly a a a real incident that happened, but I guess for many years it was almost like 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 folklore, like no one actually yeah. knew if something like this happened, but it there was it was rumored to and yeah and the, and explain that because that it's 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 fascinating yeah yeah it is it is it it existed as a it started out as a whisper of a of a of a story of a this profound idea that these prisoners yeah tried to hold god accountable for breaking his covenant with the jewish people yes um and and so there were different accounts of it and and in in his uh, novel Night, Elie Wiesel talks a little bit about having these conversations with um, a rabbi in in the camp when he was prisoner there, uh, and and about these this idea of this great Jewish tradition of wrestling with God, yeah. uh, right. of, of arguing with God. Yes, and, mm-hmm. and so so later down the road, uh, Elie Wiesel said that something like this actually did happen, and then. He kind of gave two sort of accounts of of what it would have looked like. There was one that maybe that there were three people who sat and had a conversation. Another one where he spoke about having conversations with a Rebbe that uh, that were about this person's idea of, you know, we should do something like this. Mm-hmm. And then as life in the camp happened, you never saw that person again. They just suddenly disappeared. Mm-hmm. You know, the, there was there was there were all these blockhouses and each blockhouse housed a thousand men and, and they were all packed into these bunks and, yeah. and, and so, so that mythology took on a life of its own and people argued, did this really happen? Did this not really happen? Yeah. And in speaking to the pr- production company in England who produced and developed this piece, they, they were very mindful of saying, this is fiction. Like what we have created okay. here is okay. fiction. Okay. It's based on an idea that has been speculated could possibly be true. And it's based on an idea that we all kind of can hope and embrace is true in in whatever way it actually is true that we can't ever know that we'll never, none of us were there. None of us can know what, what it was like and what, what those conversations were that sparked this whole mythology that was created around it. Um, but they, they felt that this story was so important to tell and it was Mm -hmm. such a powerful way of articulating, not just something about specifically the Holocaust of the Jews, but about things happening all over the world, about all kinds of different Holocausts being happened, being perpetrated upon people, genocide being perpetrated across the globe and, and how people reconcile with their faith in those times yeah. and how they, and within wrestling with your faith, you're reconciling with others who have a different faith or have a different level of that faith. Yeah. And, and so in, in this version, in the dramatization that Frank Cottrell Boyce, the, Reut- the writer created, the whole bunkhouse participates. Okay. Like everyone is, there's the three Every, yeah. members of the rabbinical court, um, and there's the head of the court, the father of the court, and the Dayan who asked the questions. And then everyone like calls different witnesses and some people just have had enough and they just want to throw their opinion in. And, okay. and it's just this beautiful, passionate conversation between these people. And it happens on the heels of, of a selection, which was when new prisoners were brought into the camp the current prisoners would go through a selection where they would be stripped down naked and they would go through a line and a, a German doctor would tell them to go left or go right. Mm. And, and they didn't necessarily know if going left meant you were going to be executed and going right means you were going to live a little while longer. So there's mm. the play begins with that selection yeah. and these newcomers coming into this space and then the play, the dramatization of the play unfolds as tensions start to rise and tempers start to flare and people start to wrestle with their own immediate extinction and and how that sort of bleeds over into their relationships with one another. Um, and then somebody makes this offhand comment, we should, we should put the 
he says we should put the bastard on trial mm. <laughs> and and there's a decision among some of the people in the room that yeah that's actually not a terrible idea and one character thinks it's blasphemy and another yeah. character who's a rabbi says actually it's not you know it, it, there's a great tradition in a great Jewish tradition yes. of arguing with God, of wrestling with God. And, yes. And then as you go through the play, you hear these, you know, you mm. hear all of these arguments. Wow. That is intense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, how many, how many series are you wanting to do? So this is your second one. How are, how many are you thinking you'll end up doing? Yeah, I don't know. Like it's kind of open ended in my mind. I I yeah. have an idea for two different plays. One is actually a play, and another is a a, a story, uh, a novel that I that I'm looking to turn into a play. Mm. Um, yeah. And and so the first one, Incident of Vichy, dealt with you know an individual's relationship to another individual in in the course of of undergoing this horror this one is about you know sort of an individual's relationship with their faith mm -hmm. with a higher power mm -hmm. and wrestling with that higher power and so so as i think through further chapters sort of in this story um i think about what it would be like to wrestle with yourself after surviving it yeah or okay. Um, there's a play written by uh, Tim Blake Nelson, which is one of the ones I'm considering, which is about um, the Zonderkommando. It's about these these people who would push the other Jews into the crematorium, into the gas chambers, oh. and then clean up afterward. Okay. And in the course of this, they find a person who hasn't died, and they don't know what to do. Wow. And they should they risk themselves being exterminated and hide that person? And so, so there's a whole lot of themes that can come out of it. God on trial seems like incident at Vichy seemed really relevant when I did it because of what was going on, what's yeah. still going on, yeah. you know, it, to a certain extent with the border crisis and with the way immigrants are viewed in this country and, and, and that entire, narrative that's that continues to be debated you know mm -hmm. in in our halls of government mm -hmm. if you can still call them that <laughs> and and then in in this one it's about people being able to like have conversations about really tough issues yeah yeah i mean think about that in the public square today oh being able to argue your faith against another person's faith like that uh. would that would end in violence within it would five totally minutes. End in vi Every oh, time. absolutely. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's something that I've been hearing from a lot of people that, that we need to get back to being able to, can, can we just talk? Well, yeah. Can, can we just talk about it? Is it, is it just that people that, aren't able to articulate anymore? Because I don't you know, know what it is. Because they used to Something be happened. intelligent debates, I think, at some point. Something's happened. So, at some point, we lost that. And passions <laughs> are just part, running too high. Yeah, and I think one of the things that this play is saying specifically, in my opinion, mm -hmm. is that it isn't just one thing. Yes. That it's a whole host of things. Yes. More than half of which are absolutely valid. It's like, yeah. yes, your point is absolutely valid. Yes. It is absolutely. But, but there is a way in which that valid argument can then become part of the weaponized din of of anger and and of yeah. of a, of blame that then takes the productive part out of it the part of it that helps us move forward as a society yeah um, we lost and, that yeah and there's this point. there's this this idea in uh, in there's a jewish idea called tikkun olam which means to repair the world mm. and and i we've really talked a lot about it with the cast as we've been building the play because one of the things I hope the audience really gets into with this is that this is an ex it's just an exchange of ideas. It's so, I mean, you're, these people are locked in this place. And that's why when I saw the film, I was like, I could totally do this as a play. This doesn't jump around all the time to this location and that location. We're in that blockhouse and we're dealing with these arguments. And it's the steam of this play is based on the, 
the passion with which these arguments are argued and the way in which people respond to them and to each other and the relationships that yeah. exist within those characters that make those arguments then have a cutting meaning or an empowering meaning. Sure. Um, and, and to, and I, I hope the way that we've staged this, the audience is in there with us where the audience is sitting within the blockhouse with us. So their vantage point is from our vantage point. Okay. They're hearing the arguments as we're hearing the arguments. So it's almost like they're sort and, of in there with you. Uh, you know, you guys are doing this at the first central congregational church. Yeah. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Hmm. We were actually scheduled to do this two we were two weeks away from opening when the pandemic hit. Oh, man. So we had rehearsed this in a very different space, in a very intimate, oh. small location at UNO. Oh. Um, okay. There's like a director's lab at UNO that's in the space right by the theater, and it's really small. And they were gracious enough to let us be in there. And and so we were going to have the audience literally right in there with us, and we were going to be packed in there really tight. Oh, wow. And yeah, and we were... Uh, we were the first theater, I think, that pulled the plug. Like we were, and mm -hmm. I'm hyper vigilant about sure. all of that. And I had been following um, the news for a really long time. And we had been, you know, we were already masking up in rehearsals and I was bringing wipes and everybody was wiping everything down. And then it just, you know, we all know the history. It just got right. so bad. Everything just buckled and we yeah. had to shut it all down. So when we came back to it after two years, really, I was looking at the play a very different way, but I, I said, okay, how can we now do this and make people feel safe? I still want this immersive experience to happen, but I can't put the audience on top of our laps. I can't, yeah. nobody's going to want that. No, the actor's like, not going to want that. Even though we do check vaccination cards and we do sure. require masking still, we're not there's going to be a, yeah. yeah, there's still going to be a part of your brain as an audience member that's yeah. not going to be with us. Yeah. yeah. And and we really wanted to make sure that was the case. So sure. we chose to do it at this this location at First Central Congregation that's really big mm -hmm. and okay. really massive. So instead of creating the bunkhouse in a tight space, we created it in the whole room. We use the whole room. And instead oh, cool. of a row of bunks, you have like a bunk here and then you have some audience chairs and then you have another section of a bunk. Oh, cool. So the idea is that the bunks continue and we're acting as though we're in that world, in that space. Yeah. But everywhere there would have been more prisoners now is audience. Mm. And people are able to be distant, but still be immersed that's in cool. the event that's happening. Wow. And yeah, it's really cool. And we, we, it took us a while. It took us probably two or three weeks of rehearsal to really land on the configuration that we felt could work for us and could work for the audience. And mm -hmm. it came from the actors, not just from me, from people saying, hey, what if we move this over here? And what if we yeah. put these two chairs over here? And 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 after all of that, we came we, we found ourselves in this space that we really feel like when you walk in there and there's nothing in that room, that room feels huge. Mm -hmm. And when you walk in there now, you feel like you're just in a community. Yeah. Okay. And and, huh. and that I think is really a huge part of being able to translate this from the screen especially where they can this. do it. Yeah, especially this. Yeah. And mm -hmm. to do it in in person and 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 make that leap to the stage and without I, I, losing anything well and i really like mm -hmm. that and, and and i know a lot of uh, some theaters have been t uh, kind of trending towards this is that this whole immersive uh sort of uh, uh uh theater experience and it sounds like that's kind of been your personal direction on on doing theater yeah. for, for a while now yeah yeah um, when i when when i started directing again and started acting a little bit again that was the thing that lit my fire. Yeah. It was the like immersive. I had done, yeah. you know, over a hundred plays with Bridges St. Bridget. And I had done, you know, lots of great roles. And, you know, I was really privileged to be able to do those things. Um, but as I started coming back to it, I was like, okay, this is, you know, I, the theater is, is our unique artistic expression. So if I'm going to get out of bed and do something and it's going to be my voice and my time and my, all of it, um, it needs to be something I want to say. It needs to be something I have to say. And, and so 
adding that layer to it of saying, okay, I, I don't want to build the artifice on top of the play, which is totally valid. And I, I'm not yeah. shoo-shooing that as a thing. Like people no. do beautiful work and there's beautiful set designs. Oh, yeah. But for me, having the audience being able to do it and, and have it come off really successfully like we did Incident at Vichy and have the audience come up to me afterward and go, that was so powerful. Yeah. There were people who came back like more than once to see the show oh, wow. just to sit in a different space so they oh. could be next to another actor. Oh, wow. Oh, wow. So oh. that they could see what that person was going through through the duration of the whole play. Wow. And and I'd never even thought that would be like a thing. Like I, yeah. I, I wanted them to be close and I wanted it to be immediate, but I hadn't thought about it as in terms of being personal, like to a, to, to an actor who, who doesn't speak for a whole bunch of, you know, the play. Right. Mm -hmm. And to still want to sit there and feel what they're feeling and experience what they're experiencing as the story unfolds. Yeah. And so that immersive idea really lit something off in me that was like, I really want to figure out how to do more of this yeah. where, where instead of pushing the play out to the audience, I'm making the audience lean into me, bringing the audience and, into it and, yeah. and want them to lean forward. And I want them, yeah. I want to say something quiet enough that you kind of have to creep forward in your seat a little bit to make sure you're, you're hearing it and, mm -hmm. and, and engaging them in that intimate way um, without it being intrusive. Like yeah. people go to the theater and they still, they don't want to be messed with. Yeah. Right, right, right. right. It, it, they it, want to be. Yeah. It's not the Renaissance <laughs> Festival. It's a delicate yeah. Leave the audience right. alone. <laughs> right, exactly. So we never cross that line ever. Yeah. It's just like you're a fly on the wall. You're there, yeah. but you, and you feel like, oh, wow, how did I end up here? Mm -hmm. And And if we're doing our job at certain points during the play, they'll forget they're watching a play. And they'll feel like they're just watching people have an argument, and mm -hmm. and and that that thing really excites me when it works. Yes. Um, and it, so, yeah, it really has become the focus of of everything I do now. When I look at a play, I look at it from that exact perspective. Well, and it changes wow. the experience uh, uh, for, from an audience member's point of view for sure. And I can't, not having done anything sort of specifically like this, I, I, I it's got to really affect the actors. And their performance, mm -hmm. and I mean, in, in really quite a significant way, I, I would imagine. Yeah, it does. And that's another thing. Almost all the time, not exclusively, but most of the time when I direct, I'm also acting as well. Okay. And I'm acting in this show as well. And, and that's just kind of how I learned how to do it. Uh, right. I learned by participating. I learned by being in that environment. And... And collaboration is wonderful and it can work, but it needs, it needs some structure. It needs some guidance. And, it, and I have found that being a part of it, it, the actors are more willing to talk to me with their ideas. They're more willing to share with me okay. when I'm in a scene yeah. and I, I feel like I want to try getting this actor to come, come play with me a little more. Mm -hmm. I can yeah. actively just do it. And I can, and bring that performance out or so, so yeah. So once the play is going and we're in with the audience, I'm experiencing it as an actor uh, as well. And, and just from talking to the people who I I've worked with, who've been a part of that, they feel the same thing. There's like this relationship. They feel like they build with the audience as opposed to them being just sort of dimmed out past the lights, right? you know, yeah. on the stage. What a different kind of energy that would really yeah. feed them, feed in a, just a different way. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And when you're right out there and you're giving a line and you're like, and, and it's something with weight, it's, it's a really poignant moment in the play mm. and you... And you take that breath and you could hear a pin drop. Yes. And and you see the person sitting two feet away from you is just totally in it. Yes. Yeah. It it feeds you. It totally feeds you as a performer. Yeah. Normally as a performer, we don't get to see their faces. Uh yeah. when right. when, when right. stuff like that happens. We, yeah. Right. We, we we can hear the silence. You you can hear when 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 you get to those pin drop moments and it's like, okay, yeah. I'm doing well. But yeah, you, you don't get to see their faces. I can't imagine what that's like. What an energy mm -hmm. that must create. Yeah, it's really cool. Keeping the audience safe and comfortable. Yeah. And yet letting them feel like they're in the immediacy of what's happening in front of them. Right. Is 
is really a fine, it's a really fun dance to figure out. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but when it does work, and it doesn't always work, but when it does, you can really feel the difference and, mm-hmm. and that's exciting. Wow. And, and it seems like, I mean, obviously this subject has a, a personal meaning for you. Do you feel yeah. that it's also kind of, because your mom was Catholic and your dad was Jewish, does, do you feel like you're a little bit more connected to your dad and learning from your your father's family's experiences? And Yeah, it was, it was interesting. When I came back from, you know, pursuing a different sort of acting career life, and I never liked the nomadic actor thing. I like being home. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. I like being here. I don't like being in hotels. I don't like going from cast to cast to cast. I like working with a lot of the same people again and again and again, building a repertory company and then bringing new people into that company all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and that for me is fun and, and interesting. So just personally, that was something. But once my dad, uh, his dementia got, um, so bad. And, and I was really good with him at the time. Like I, okay. you know, I've always been so busy and, and really like the black sheep of my family. So I, I haven't <laughs> always been the dutiful son and I'm not around all the time. I don't go to the birthday parties. I don't, you know, I'm not that person. I've always been so busy doing 12 different things. Um, and, and my ADHD, I, I, I really am neurodivergent and that is really present, not just in my work, but in my life. And Mm. I'm a really big advocate for it now. So Mm. the pandemic really brought it home for me. Like I had forgotten that I had ADHD. I totally forgot. I was diagnosed as a kid and I was taking Ritalin and, Uh and, and I told, I forgot about it. I just didn't remember Mm. because I wasn't, I wasn't on it and you, you just learn to adapt and move on. You learn to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah. And my partner was diagnosed autistic. And so then she started researching autism and started researching ADHD. And she said, you know, you're ADHD, you know, remember? And I was like, what What are you talking about? She's like, yeah, yeah, you're ADHD. Your mom told me blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that's right. And, And all these bells went off in my head. Yeah. Like all these things about how I do what I do and why I do it mm-hmm. all really started to make sense to me. So when I came back, to really try to be present for my dad, I couldn't run off to Chicago to do an audition anymore. Before I'd hop in the car, I'd drive eight hours, I'd audition and I'd come back. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't really do that anymore. I had to be more reliable for him and for everything. So I I got a job um, at the Jewish Community Center. Um, and, And I hadn't really been connected to my Jewish heritage prior to that, since we left New Jersey. Mm -hmm. And since I wasn't seeing my relatives on the regular it just it was there but it wasn't always like a big thing um but once i got back into that environment i started working with other people in that community and i started remembering all of this stuff from my upbringing and and helping my dad with his dementia connecting with him on that level yeah because the Mm -hmm. adult stuff the stuff of him being my dad wasn't really present for him but the stuff about him being okay. a young guy yeah. and his bar mitzvah and going up to the bungalow in New York and, <laughs> you know, him and Bobby Mandel cutting the top off of a, an old Chevy with a chainsaw. So they had a convertible. <laughs> like these are the these are the stories he would tell over and over oh, again. Awesome. And, and mm-hmm. it would really put us in this place of, you know talking about his upbringing in a way that he had never shared with me before. Yeah. Um, and at the same time, here I am working at the Jewish Community Center, and I was working specifically for the Anti-Defamation League. Okay. So, um, so you know, being on guard for anti-Semitism and extremism and stuff. And mm-hmm. I got my job in 2016, right before Trump became president. Oh. And then the world just changed. Yep. Like, it just changed. From when I first started working at the ADL, I was getting maybe a couple of incident reports, you know, in the course of a month, maybe. And then within a year and Charlottesville happened and, you know, it was we were get, if I wasn't getting a, two or three calls every day, it was unusual. Wow. Mm-hmm. Um, and so things just quickly went off the rails and that got me took me even further in to my experience because I experienced anti-Semitism as a kid. Mm. I went, okay. we got pulled out of a Catholic school 
um, we were going to a public school and, and then it was a really not a good, safe place to be. And we almost got hurt. Some, some of us, there were five of us kids and we're all pretty close together in age. And, uh, there were no cross guards and there was like a busy area and we almost got hit by a car. And so my mom freaked out and she was like, we're, they're going to a private school. We're getting them out of the public school system. And so we ended up going to sacred heart, this Catholic school. And so, so here I am with, you know, being brought up with no religion because my parents wanted to stay as far away from it as they could. That's some culture shock for you. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, wow. So, and, and because I was sort of the performer in the family, like I was, they, I, I sang in the choir. So I'd sing in the choir and then I'd go sit at the back of the church while communion happened. Oh, and then I'd come back up and I'd sing. So here I was like, Like being a part of their praise and their celebration and then checking it, punching out the clock and going to the back of the house. (laughs) And, and, and it just didn't occur to me that that was strange. Like that was just the way it was. That's the way it was. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and I was, you know, I was in sixth grade, so I wasn't wearing anything on my sleeve. So I guess kids started wondering why I wasn't taking communion or whatever. And then it's like, oh, he's Jewish. They're Jewish. And all these friends that I had made, like within the first year of being there, just turned on me like oh a dime. Oh, no. And, and they, you know, looking back, they're kids and, you know, kids are just mean sometimes and they do yeah. stuff, They learn but, it somewhere. Yeah. Not, yeah and they were not, learning it yeah. from somewhere. So, so we were starting to get called like dirty Jews and commie Jews. Oh and, my and me, I had no frame of reference. Yeah. For I was like, what are you talking about? Yeah, I like, even know. What do you mean? I'm not Jewish. I don't go to temple. I don't, we're not religious at all. And I didn't understand that. You know, yeah. being Jewish didn't mean religion. It meant something else. Right. Yes. I wasn't connecting it to a, a race or a people. I was mm-hmm. connecting it to mm-hmm. religion still at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and even into adulthood, I kind of still did that. But but then I started fighting all the time and, you know, having to defend myself. And, and so all of that really informed a, I, what I think was a very unique perspective for me to be looking at the world from, and not just to be experiencing the world, but to be reconnecting with my Jewish heritage from. Yeah. So yeah. So here I am in this place in this time, wanting to be more mindful of social justice issues and wanting to do work that matters and and stuff that's important and you know feeling this connection to my Jewish self that I hadn't really thought about before, um, and and so it started just merging with my art and started coming out in the plays I was choosing to do and the things, the way that I was choosing to do it. Um, So that really did lead me into this road. But it, you know, when I, you know, listen to myself, just telling that story, like all the pieces that had to fall into place Uh for all those things to sort of mesh up, to put me in this space that I'm in now, including my neurodivergence, like all of that really informs um, not just who I am as an artist and what I'm doing, but, but I think what I'm giving to my actors, like when we're, you know, when we, we rehearse in a really immersive kind of way too. Like we do, I do welcome conversation in, in the rehearsal process and I don't block, like I don't block a play up front. Like we, okay. the first time we do something at a rehearsal, we just sit and we read it. Okay. Um, and the whole first week of rehearsal is just, was just for us, it was just table work. It was, we have a dramaturg on the production and cool. we have a cantor, uh, a Jewish cantor who's helping us oh, nice. um, with stuff. So it was all learning about the Holocaust, learning about um, Judaism, learning yeah. about uh, the difference between being a religious Jew and a cultural Jew and and me sharing my yeah. personal experiences with them and then having them share some of their personal experiences with me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and being able to then say, okay, now let's take all of that information and synthesize it into these arguments. So we'd start the rehearsals and we'd just sit there and we'd read and say, okay, yeah, this, you know, when you're saying this, do you feel like, yeah, I feel like this could be like this or this could be like that. And like, it really seems like it makes sense if you were talking to this person when you were saying that. So maybe you would move over here and, and then we'd start to slowly get up on our feet and, it was a really organic Very process and organic, I've been yeah. working like that more and more, but I was really much more um, 
playful about it this time in terms mm. of of not being worried about it. Like mm -hmm. the first time I ever directed, um, and and Kathy, who's the artistic director of the theater, is the best director I've ever worked with, um, hands down. And I learned a lot, most everything that I know structurally how to be a director from Kathy. Okay. And, uh, but then when I was given the opportunity to direct for the theater, I was like, I don't know if I know how to do this. <laughs> and when I came to rehearsal, I was like, I don't have any ideas. So like, I don't come to rehearsal with a bunch of preconceived notions loaded okay. up in my head, which is the way other people work. And, yes. and I see it work and it works really well, but uh, I couldn't do it. So I thought maybe I'm not cut out for this. And, and the more I did it, the more I started trusting, Oh, that's just not me. That's not how my brain yeah, works. For sure. That's not how my ADHD brain works. I yeah. can't look at a text, even as an actor, I can't look at a text and learn my lines. Mm -hmm. I can't just sit there and bang lines into my head. Yeah. If I get up on my feet and I start saying the lines yep. in rehearsal, they're there. Yeah. I have mm -hmm. them. Mm -hmm. But if I have that intention behind them and all that stuff, it's great. And the same thing with direction. So for me to imagine how this other person is going to do this line, it, it just, I couldn't possibly do it. But hearing them do it mm -hmm. and seeing their impulses, then I could help shape and and yeah. and bring things out and move things around and 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 so I've learned to trust that I've learned to be c calm when I start and go okay I don't know what this is going to be I don't know how we're going to get there but I know we're going to get there yeah. because it's happened every time and and so that thing I was talking about earlier about being into this for 30 years that's where I think that trust thing for me that yeah. that centeredness okay. helps me approach a work from is I can read it and it, I can respond to it and then I can have no idea how I'm going to do it. Sure. And, and then I build it section by section, four pages, five pages at a time. And then we run the chunk together and say, Oh, this works or, Oh boy, this one thing in the middle, I just really was off the mark on that. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so it, it really is an organic process uh, mm -hmm. between me and the people who are in the room at the time. And if you're thinking about adapting the, your next play from a book, that's kind of the yeah. next step into writing your own and directing your own, <laughs> really. Yeah, and I, I have. I actually did in 2003, <laughs> I did an adaptation of Bram Stoker's Dracula. Okay. Um, oh, cool. Which, yeah. which I don't know if you've ever read the novel. Yes. Um, yeah. But it's nothing like any of the movies that have ever no, been made. No, Francis Ford I Coppola mean, got the closest, I think, but it was still Francis Ford Coppola's drag. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it was still, you know, way, yes. way off in the weeds somewhere with some of that stuff. Yes. Um, and, and so I really wanted to bring the novel as it's written to I, the stage. Which I adore, and yes. I, uh, me too. And I did. And I, it was really a fun process. Like if you look at that novel, if you, ex it's written as journal entries. Yeah. So Harker's journal, you're reading, you're reading Lucy and Mina's journals, you're reading excerpts from a newspaper and the narrative is pieced together through all of these. It's a really masterful way of writing something. Yeah, it is. And if you take it apart and if you take all the pages out and you put it on a timeline so you see when Harker is doing this journal, Lucy is writing this journal on this date at this time. Okay. And everything starts to sync up. And so when Dracula is hmm. progressing in his conversations with Harker, mm -hmm. he's learning how to be uh, an Englishman. Yes. He's learning his mannerisms. He's learning. So being able to theatrically show that mm -hmm. and, and then get to the point where he... He leaves Harker there to die, and he gets on the Demeter, this boat that takes him to Whitby, where he encounters Mina and Lucy. And Lucy's sleepwalking starts <laughs> on. If you look at it, it, was, it just blew my mind when I did this. I know I'm totally off. No, in I, the love weeds here, but, I love this. I love this. But when, when, if you read the novel and you look at the dates and you look at an atlas, when the ship, the Demeter, crosses this mountain range, it is the first time that he has clear line of sight. If you were a satellite, you'd have clear line of sight to England. Okay. You'd still never be able to see, but but the I think what Stoker was trying to do is that his telepathy or whatever the heck he's able to do right. 
he's able to connect with Lucy because the mountains were in the way the whole time. Okay. And now he's and got now, a clear shot. Yes. And he's really trying to search for Mina because that's who Harker was engaged to. Right. But he finds this other person who's susceptible to sleepwalking already. <laughs> so he, he builds in all this beautiful stuff. And I was like, why does nobody ever put this in, in a movie? This is beautiful. Yeah. This yes. is great. Uh, yes. So I put it all into the play and I ended up with a play that was three and a half hours oh, long. Yes. That's great. That yeah, it was too long. <laughs> oh. It was just people like people really enjoyed it and they were really kind about it. And I think mm -hmm. they liked a lot of it, but it was just a it was a sit. It was a sit and a half. <laughs> and we had two intermissions and you know oh, but man. but I got my first taste of writing. And I was like, oh, I really like this. Okay. I really enjoy this. And I really enjoy adaptation. Yeah. Um, okay. So I adapted another thing after that that we did. And then I've adapted several short stories. Um, and then recently I've started writing my own stuff, uh, which we did right before uh, the pandemic. I did a play. Uh, it was like a series of vignettes called Holiday Lights. At, uh, okay. It's a, like a yearly thing we're going to do. And we had to cancel it this year because of COVID, because of the, the resurge yeah. and mm -hmm. couldn't find a safe enough space to do it in. Yeah, yeah. But I wrote a, a play that's a, it's an encounter between a Jewish guy and Krampus, the oh. go demon Christmas guy. <laughs> yes. And it's the Jewish guy. The Jewish guy is coming home from a, a holiday Christmas party. And he encounters Krampus, who says, you've lost the Christmas spirit, so I'm going to put you in my sack and like the whole folklore. Yeah. And the Jewish guy is like, wait a minute, I'm now. Jewish. <laughs> uh, yeah. He's like, I don't, I, I don't have any Christmas spirit by definition. <laughs> and so I, I wrote this thing and, and the audience really loved it. And it was the first time I'd really, I'd written some stuff for film that I'd done as a screenplay for myself. But it was the first time I'd written a theater piece and I really enjoyed doing it. And it was a good time. So I've, I've been building up my confidence to do <laughs> more writing over the years. So, so looking ahead to doing something really excites me because that's really kind of where I see myself shifting into is, is yeah. writing more. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it really intrigues me. That whole medium really intrigues mm -hmm. me. I can totally see that happening. I mean, if, if you're going to have other series, and this is definitely a subject that you're passionate about. And, yeah. and for, you know, we kind of had a, on the podcast, we, we always want to keep the conversation of arts going. And uh, we want it to be kind of a resource too, for people to learn about theater who maybe are thinking about being in it, but they're not comfortable. So so I guess I just have a newbie question to ask that we can talk about. When you adapt something, are do you have to? How do you handle the copyright of adapting something? Does it have to be oh. a certain amount of years old before you can turn it into something else? Yeah. If if you want to just play fast and loose with it and and write whatever you want to write and feel what you want to feel, it has to be in the public domain. Okay. Like you. That's what I thought. Yeah. And if it's copyrighted material like this was, like I don't make any changes to this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Like there was, okay. there was a strict contract I had to sign and all of that stuff right. with the company in England. And, um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's different for different things. So, yeah. so this one, I wouldn't even say I adapted it for the stage. I just figured out how to present it as a theater piece. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause um, this was originally a television series on the BBC. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it was multiple yeah. nights, I guess. No, it, they or, refer to the series being like masterpiece theater. Like that, that oh, was the series. Okay. And this was, it's just one film and it's just, it's okay, just an hour and 15 minutes long. Okay. And, and that's why I think not a lot of people know the title because it aired. It didn't. It wasn't a theatrical release or anything like that. Oh, yeah. And it aired it sort of series, under yeah. a different series name. Yeah. And it was just yeah, one of the People who regularly did. watch Masterpiece Theater probably may have seen it in okay. 2008 when it came mm -hmm. out. Okay. And and the only reason I knew it is because my partner is a religious, a religion, religious studies and philosophy teacher and uses it in their class oh. to, oh, wow. to talk about religion. Of and course. to talk uh, in that context, and so that's why they shared it with me, cool. and 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 I immediately saw the theatrical value in it as well. Oh, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah. Wow, it's it sounds like a really powerful. Yeah, um, gotta gotta get out and see this. Yes, absolutely. Sounds like a really powerful film, and I bet you probably even well, there's not very many left, but I bet you probably have some family um, members that want to come out and. You might hear from like your last production. Do you get any feedback from from people who have maybe had yeah. the, that experience? Or um, yeah, we actually 
when I was doing Incident Vichy, I was still working at the Jewish Community Center, which I'm not anymore. I'm just doing the theater now. And we had an actual survivor in the audience uh, one night. And we would do talkbacks after each production, each performance. And so we did a weekend of performances out at the Jewish Community Center. The rest of the run was in Benson at that B-side in that diner that I told you about. Mm -hmm. But um, we did one performance out there and we had a really interesting conversation and he held the the conversation for a really good amount of time and he 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 spoke to me afterwards and told me how much he enjoyed the production and how you know how happy he was that we were doing it and that we were being so meticulous about really being truthful about the experience and yeah um that's gotta be really gratifying it is. It is. And it's also a little intimidating. Like when I thought about doing yeah. this one, yeah. I was a little intimidated because it's in Auschwitz. So we're wearing those striped uniforms. Yeah. And, you know, I shaved my head and we yeah. so the first time I did it, I was really focused on the Holocaust aspect of it, making sure I was getting everything right. Mm-hmm. And then after being able to sit with it for two years, um, I, I came at it from a very different perspective mm. and thought that this is this is this is a Holocaust story that couldn't be told in another way, but it's not about the Holocaust. It's about God. It's about this people's relationship to their faith and each other in this, in this place and in this time. So when I was talking to the actors, we were, we we were, we made sure that everybody understands how, you know, not just the stakes of what was going on in the Holocaust, but, but trying to be really mindful of any space that we inhabit where we're where we're bearing the torch of remembering. Where mm-hmm. we're saying, okay, this must be remembered. Right. And so part of why we're doing this play is that we must remember. Yes. But Absolutely. beyond that, the people who were living through that at that time weren't thinking about the history of the Holocaust. They were just living. They were just trying to survive. Yeah. They were just having this argument with God without the benefit of knowing everything that was going on with Mengele and with Hitler and with, so there are these references in the Mm. play where we were like, okay, we're referencing these people, but we don't completely know the whole story that we know now. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to put ourselves in that place of saying, okay, we're experiencing this as in real as an immediate real time event. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we're making these arguments. So it was really, almost more important in some ways for them to understand Judaism and for them to understand Jewish culture and, and be able to pay homage to that and to celebrate that um, at the same time that we're, we're because people shouldn't come out of it feeling like some of the most hopeful, energetic and inspiring people I've ever met were Holocaust survivors. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they, but they just were, they were patient and they were, they were willing to listen and they were generous and, and hopeful, hopeful about the future. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so saying, okay, we want to do this play. We want to tell this story, but we want the audience to come away feeling invigorated by the arguments, by, you know, by remembering the importance of remembering and the importance to go on and take the lessons to, again, that idea that I talked about earlier, that tikkun olam, that mm-hmm. that repairing the world. Yes. That's why we do this. That's why we do theater to a certain extent. Yeah. Yes, yes. Art so makes the world a better place. A, a world without art is is a world devoid of empathy. Mm-hmm. And, and so any piece that we do, any piece that I really engage with, um, I first engage with on the level, on an empathetic level. And say how, where is the the value in this for our collective empathy, and 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 then say okay now, I need to make sure I this is my thing to screw up, like I totally see the potential here. <laughs> this has been written by a really smart person in a really beautiful way. Now I have to honor all of that. Yes, um, and include a whole group of people who are going to do the same. Yeah, um, and by the end of it. I, I'm really, really excited for people to see it. I feel like I'm really proud of this cast. Uh, Excellent. And, and yeah, I can just, totally just see why. Yeah, I can totally see why. And, and for, 
so many people in the world that said, oh, you know, the Holocaust didn't happen, or <sighs> we're just getting to the point where we are losing all the survivors and the stories aren't there um, yeah. anymore. The stories have to continue to be told. And yes. yeah. it's so wonderful that you're doing that because... Yeah, I'm, I'm old enough. I had the advantage when I was in grade school. We, we, we had a couple of Holocaust survivors come in and talk to the kids. But I mean, that was in the 70s. And so that was a long time ago. And yeah. there are really aren't, there's like almost nobody left now. Yeah. I can't do that yeah. anymore. There's, when I worked at the ADL, we shared office space with the Institute for Holocaust Education. Yeah. And they are out there every day, all the time, yeah. bringing survivors, the few that, that are left here in Omaha to yeah. the schools and the children of those survivors mm -hmm. and yes. their children's children and, and finding other innovative ways to keep ed Holocaust education alive and relevant and and, you know, we we all know that there's, you know, extremism is extremely prolific right now. Yeah. And, mm -hmm. and not to mention what's going on in Ukraine mm -hmm. and, uh. and how many shadows of, of mm. history we're seeing there at the same time yeah. and the suffering. And mm -hmm. and so with all of these things going on and. And, you know, and we wrestle with this stuff at the theater all the time. It's like, yeah, people want to get out and they want to they want to get away from that. They want to. Yes. They want to lose themselves in something else. Um, yes. And and I think that you can do both at the same time. I think so, that too. You can mm -hmm. you can give them something that absolutely re is relevant to what's going on now, but do mm -hmm. it in such a way that they feel invigorated by it by the end and not just more pummeled by the news yeah like yes when they get home yes yeah. seeing that triumphant human spirit of these people in this play making this argument being weak and hungry and sick and tired and and still trying to cling to their faith or still even if they don't have faith in god they're trying to cling to their faith in reason and logic and debate and mm -hmm. and it's just a it's just a beautiful testament to what what the human spirit can be yeah. even in the most horrific circumstances. Yeah. yeah. The humanity of it is just what yeah. should appeal to everyone. And, yeah. and it sounds, and it's, and it's one of those stories that, that, that sort of is the point is, is the yeah. humanity of, of the whole thing. And with mm -hmm. us, with us, you know, having this argument, wrestling, wrestling with God. Yeah. And, and we're doing it on th this, the, the last weekend of the run falls on Passover oh. and Easter, oh. both happening at the same time. That's right. And we're in Ramadan, I think, right now. <laughs> and so there's this confluence of, yes. of events happening. And and we've already got reservations for Easter Sunday. Like, we're already half full. Oh, wow. Which I was really surprised about um, and, and really gratified about, because I think it's a beautiful way for people who do observe those holidays and, and do so in a religious way, even mm -hmm. it's a beautiful way to, to remind yourself of that, uh, that connection to your faith, that, yes. that personal connection that you can have and somebody else sitting next to you can have a very different personal connection and, and that can be okay. And that's um, okay. And, and, and so one of the, we're not going to do a curtain call for this show. Fair enough. Um, so at the, yeah. at the end of the play, what happens is, you know, it's really heavy. And by the end of the play, you know, some of them are taken off to be exterminated. I mean, mm -hmm. that's just what happened mm -hmm. in reality. And, and so we want to leave the audience in a place where they can, they can reflect and they can think. And there's a beautiful labyrinth at the, at mm -hmm. the church, there's this big patio and you can walk the labyrinth. Oh, and, I love oh, labyrinth neat. walks. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we decided not to do talkbacks after the performances, but we're going to hold an online talkback, uh, like a live talkback once the show closes and invite anybody who came to see the play and mm. anybody who wants to really um, to come share their thoughts about the production, to share, ask questions. We'll have some uh, scholars with us. We'll have the cantor who was helping us wow. uh, with that stuff be there to answer questions. And we're just really hoping that there's a community of people that can connect over this work and right. and and really understand the value of it and the importance of, of remembering these stories. I love that you're doing that. that yeah, that is so very, neat. Yeah, so you can get everybody smart. on. Yeah. yeah, very smart how to handle all that. I think that's a, a brilliant idea. Mm -hmm. It yeah. really is. Thank you. Wow, I Thank can't you. wait to see it. And yes, it just sounds like there's just so much 
there that's just so good. I, I'm excited to see it. And thank you. Good, so, yeah. Thank you so much for being willing to talk to us about it. Yes. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So, so glad to be able to talk with you and, 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 and talk about Bridget, St. Bridget. So yeah. we've been, we've, we, uh, we, uh, it's been a long time coming. So, uh, yeah, uh thank been. you for being patient <laughs> and, uh, we'll, 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 we'll get back to you for sure. Right. Uh, well, it won't be as long. The, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. There's no pandemic anyway. Yeah. Right. Said, if I was on social media more, which I should be to promote the theater, but, yeah. but I would have seen you sooner, but yeah, I really appreciate okay. you having me and for taking the time yeah. to have a, a oh. lovely conversation about it. Thank yes, you, absolutely. And when this whole thing is over, we'll have to do coffee. Or something yes. when things are kind of right, a little right. bit easier via Zoom. Via Zoom, <laughs> there you go. Yeah, we can do that then. That sounds good. Um, so, the, so the show runs April first through the seventeenth, and it looks like you've got. I was trying to count here. It's like first, second, third, seventh, eighth, nine ninth. shows. Nine yep. shows. Fifteen, sixteen, yeah. and seventeen. Okay. So we do Friday, only... Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and then Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Okay. okay. So only, only. 10, opportun- 10 opportunities. That's right. And I guess Sundays are matinee. Nine. Is the case. Oh, it is. We're nine. not doing that Sunday in between. Oh, okay. it's, you're doing it's Thursday just, instead. Yeah. yeah. And okay. we're doing Thursday as $10 or pay what you can. Okay. Uh, so that performance is for anybody who, you know, can't afford regular ticket prices, sure. which are $35 for general mission, 30 for student, senior, military. Okay. Um, but, but we do have that opportunity on that Thursday for $10 or, like I said, pay what you can. To come see the play. Oh, Excellent. awesome! Yeah. Oh, I can't wait, and and to have that talk back afterwards. That's fantastic. So. Yeah, I think that'll be it'll be interesting to see who shows up and what they have to say, <laughs> what their feelings were about it. Yeah, they had a chance to, to think about it. Yeah, and for it, sure. And it's at the first congregational church, four two one South Thirty Sixth Street, oh, and it's on our website. If you go to get tickets, there's a little directions button. Yeah. And you can click on that, and it'll oh, it'll take you to it. Explain the parking and ah uh, yes. Well, thank you so much, Murphy Wolfgar, the executive director of Bridget St. Bridget, for talking with us today about their upcoming play, God on Trial. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening and supporting the arts in the Platte River area and beyond. Please subscribe to our podcast so you are sure to catch all of our future episodes and join us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Music for this podcast was used with permission by Screaming Skull Productions. See you next time on the Platte River Bard.